Hello, and welcome to Imagine Me and Utena, a revolutionary girl Utena podcast. I'm Panda, I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host Alice. Hi, Alice. Hey, Pans. I'm also here with my co-host Cass. Hi, Cass. You can think of me as the choo-choo of the podcast. Yeah, we decided you're our mascot, essentially. <laughs> in in the interim time between this and the last recording. And we are here to talk about a thing, and we have some special guests. I'll I'll get to the intro of the thing, but we have some special guests here helping us I feel talk special. about it. You're so special. We have returning to the pod... Basically, another co-host of the show at this point, Vana from Empty Movement. Hi, Vana. Hello. And uh, we have a, a new guest. Uh, we have Lottie from the Empty Movement Discord. Hi, Lottie. Hi. Thank you for having me. We are here to talk about. Okay, so so a, a couple of uh, almost a couple of weeks ago, from time of recording. A YouTube video came out by the video essayist H-Bomber guy, (laughs) friend of the show, H-Bomber guy. Yeah, friend of the pod. (laughs) Close friend of the show. He's on the the waiting list. Close personal friend of the pod, uh, H-Bomber guy. That's a joke. (laughs) Just making sure everyone uh, (laughs) listening knows that. I do not know. No, shut up. We're manifesting this. (laughs) Close mutual of exactly like someone on empty movement. (laughs) Yeah, I Vana's <laughs> talked to him before. That counts. Um, yeah. But, so a, a video came out, and it was about plagiarism and YouTube, and specifically uh, about half of the video's four-hour runtime was dedicated to now former YouTube video essayist and queer media analyst, ostensibly uh, James Summerton. And after the news of James Summerton's entire career being founded on a house of cards of plagiarism, (laughs) we also found out that he did a Patreon-exclusive video about Mm. revolutionary girl Utena. He made it, like, way back in August, too. Yeah. So it's been on the Patreon for a while. Yeah, it's... Mm. Technically, I knew that he had something brewing with Utena because I had been subscribed to James Summerton because previously I had watched and liked at the time a couple of videos that he had done. Notably, these were videos on things that I did not know anything about, uh, something that that would not occur to me until after all of this uh, came to light, because I, like a year ago, kind of stopped, even though I kept, I didn't like unsubscribe, I kind of stopped uh, watching his videos because he made one about something I did know a thing about, and it made me very angry. It was the Attack on Titan video I thought was absolute (laughs) fucking dog shit, and I watched it and I couldn't believe that this person that I had thought that I respected on the internet uh, made such a dog shit video. 
Um, and it turns out all of his videos were dog shit. I just didn't know enough about the other <laughs> topics to know that. Yeah. But I had seen in my subscription tab a couple of YouTube shorts that very clearly had Utsuna imagery in them. So I thought that he was just teasing like an upcoming video, which I guess technically this was because it was yeah, probably going to gonna release it next year. Or it was probably going to be released YouTube. to the public at some mm-hmm. point. Now, pro- probably not. But so he he did a video about Utsuna and because I'm a glutton for punishment, I messaged the group chat and said, do we hate ourselves enough to talk about the James Summerton Utsuna video? And it turns out we all do. So Mm -hmm. why don't we get started? (laughs) I think actually, I think it is worth saying also that like those weeb guys have already. um, Oh, yes, we should. We should talk about. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to the weeb crew. Diverge a lot. Yeah. Shout out, totally. Yeah, the the Weeb crew did a video, uh, like a stream where they uh, broke down this this same video uh, featuring former guest of this podcast, Kai at Clear and Sweet. And we were invited onto that stream, but none of us could make it, unfortunately. But um, I haven't watched it yet because I didn't want it to too heavily inform uh, my reactions to the video before I watched Mm -hmm. it. Has everyone else watched the Weeb Crew video? I I have not yet. It's okay. We're not really gonna. We're not because I could I couldn't. My breaks aren't that long, so we weren't really gonna talk about it. I was just curious. I watched a little bit of it. It seemed like it was a good listen, but I was working and I was like, I need something that's gonna. I need sense wave or I'm gonna fall asleep. But I do <laughs> intend enough. to. I do intend to um to listen actually while I am painting in the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Ooh, I, I heard some of it. Hopefully I end up, I don't end up repeating anything that they said after I, I had to stop listening. But I think on the whole, our focuses are going to be a bit different. Yeah. Okay. They do a really good breakdown of how incorrect he is about things in the Wikipedia that actually do have incorrect things in them. Uh, because they have much more of a background in like Sailor Moon and things like that. Mm-hmm. For me, for what I wanted to get onto the this uh, podcast for is... I need to scream about yet another shitty person centering Akio on a description of the story. When it's that insane. That is my job. That is my job. Yeah. Everyone else doing that is weird. There's only one so. person on God's green earth that I trust <laughs> to, like, if, if there is if there is some sort of an Utena content and a lot of it is focused on Akio, there is only one person on God's green earth I trust to have made it, and she is on this call with me right now. God's number one Akio fangirl. The only human God's only fan. fangirl. Holy crap. Well, yeah, I, um, yeah. I was not thrilled when I heard how much of this video talked about Akio, and boy, uh, yeah. I wasn't thrilled. It's, by the way, did, did we cover the why exactly Summerton is getting exploded? Um, I mean, we, we covered There's that two, H, yeah. H- H-Bomb did a video and- But then that other guy for, did- For uh, doing a plagiarism, and then Todd in the Shadows came Got in, into the lying, and just making shit up. Todd in the Shadows came in for the- Off the top the rope with the steel chair. Yeah, off the top <laughs> rope with the steel chair uh, to break Todd down- Todd in the Shadow bringing the people's elbow and H-Bomber guy giving the sunset flip on that motherfucker. <laughs> I love it. So <laughs> true. 
yeah, the, these two videos came out. Uh, one just talking about how much James plagiarized, and then the Tom the Shadows video was specifically about things that were lies or made up thing, fact checking things. But because neither, uh, well, I know H Bomber guy likes anime, but because like it's anime videos are not really his background and Tom the Shadows' background it really isn't an anime um there wasn't a lot of like there there was some fact checking of the anime stuff but there wasn't as much of it as there was for like other things mm-hmm. and I mean especially not this video because it wasn't public but um, yeah like yeah like the the big thing to note here as we go into this I think that I wanted to hit on that's kind of covered a little bit more by the Todd video than the H-Bomb thing is specifically James Summerton was not just bad because he stole other people's writing. James Summerton mm-hmm. was a bad essayist because he is prone to fabulism. He will constantly, in the middle mm-hmm. of otherwise normal and middle of the road and often, frankly, stolen takes, insert shit he's just made up either by, either p- potentially by accident because he's just trying to embellish someone else's words so that you can't catch his plagiarism as easily. Or because he just seems to do that a lot. We cannot yeah, tell he's if he's gotta it's... add these flourishes. Yeah. We we cannot tell if this is him or his uh ostensible co-writer, or both. Either way, they're they're all over his scripts. We're at the level yeah. here where the man has claimed openly that Skype was invented by a gay porn site. And, and yeah. that Nazis invented abs. His obsession oh, no, 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 with no, no, Nazis. I'm still, oh my god. I'm still really mad about the that thing with the Nazi video because I'm like, excuse me, no, Ernst Rom was not killed because he was fat. That is probably the stupidest thing I have ever heard, and I have read a lot of Weraboo comments. Oh, totally. <laughs> I th- I think the thing that ultimately makes it worth talking about from from our point of view is. This guy fucked around and made a video about, you know, something where the literature and the understanding and the discourse around it is very, very longstanding, but also very contained in a small group. So plagiarizing it would have been very obvious. I think you're giving him a little too much credit there. Yeah, maybe. I I think what happened that's interesting is, ultimately, everyone assumed he was going to plagiarize a lot of the fan-created content, including things on Empty Movement, and he didn't. He was too lazy to do that. That's That's what's impressive. Spoiler for this episode, the most insane thing (laughs) about the video, and believe me, there are a lot of insane Mm -hmm. things about this video. The most insane part of it is that, like... We can't seem to find where he would have plagiarized. I mean, like, the... I I don't count just reading Wikipedia as part of his quote-unquote plagiarism, which he does do in this video. Yeah, that's the first, like, 15 minutes of the whole video is just him reading it. It's actually way less than you'd think. There's a lot of stuff that's, like, where he's taking a thing that lots of people have said in two million Tumblr posts... But it's but yeah. it's nothing specific and nothing mm-hmm. like constructed as part of an argument. It's just random tidbits of opinion or jokes that you can misunderstand. Yeah, it, I think the thing that has to be contended with here is that some of this, maybe many, much of this, is actually James Summerton's writing, and and we have to contend with that. This is what this man seems to authentically believe about Revolutionary Girl Utena. If he, in fact, watched it, which may be debatable. 
I, well, I want to take a poll here and see who th- who all thinks he actually watched it versus didn't watch it. I think he maybe watched some of the dubbed first episode, and that is a generous reading. The thing okay. is, he often forgets major details. For, oh, forgets. Yeah. And the thing is, he will remark about how Nanami had that conversation with her brother that was very clearly homophobic on Toga's part, but the motherfucker never comments on the fact that for all of Nanami's strangeness, she kills a fucking kitten. He just, like, does not mention that. And for somebody commenting on the weirdness, that's kind of something that gets a major cross stuck in someone's taint. So why not mention it? the kitten dying. Well, I mean, Hmm. he also just doesn't seem... He's not invested like a lot of people he isn't invested in exploring anything about nanami outside of like mm-hmm. huh isn't that wacky yeah, yeah. i think yeah. that i can't tell if that's the misogyny or just he doesn't like anime because i think it could be both i mean it could be both his his anime content has been infamously un bad un, like uh, terrible un- incurious and bad slop allison cast do you guys think that he watched it Okay, I, I have the hottest take here. Are you ready? Sure. He did technically watch all of Utna that isn't the Black Rose arc at least <laughs> once, but he didn't actually watch it because I, I define watching it here as he had it open in front of him and he was manipulating footage because he needed to pull things for his video to edit it yeah. together. So by, by the barest, most technical de- definition, James Somerton has seen Utna. He has not absorbed much about it. There are a couple of points in there that are highly specific enough that he paid some attention, particularly, I think, to... You'll notice that, like, a lot of his analysis, if you pay attention to, like, how much weight he puts on things in the video, skips right to the character relationships as they are in the final arc of the series. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that why that is, is he watched the setup of the show... And then kind of skipped around very quickly to get to the, specifically the uh, last few episodes. Which is why he's able to make somewhat salient points about things like all of the cars that appear in the arena are Akio's car. And Mm. Toga and Sayonji, when they break free of Akio, also have a driving thing. But they're specifically driving in a vehicle that is distinctly theirs and they get their own weird little pose. Like, Mm -hmm. it's the closest thing to a salient point he makes in the entire essay. And I think you could, the reason it stood out to me as salient is, like, in order to make that point, you would have had to actually watch enough of that arc to understand what the pattern was there and why it's significant that it breaks. That's a good point. And and Vanna, do you think he watched it? I think I have the spiciest take here. I think he did watch it from cover to cover. Probably the dub. But... I think he was half watching it and basically tuned out whenever there wasn't a man on the screen talking. <laughs> yep. Oh, so that's the, like, yep, the yep, way yep, you yep, watch yep. Revolutionary Girl Eats Nirvana. <laughs> Damn. Okay, but okay, but I've rewatched it like dozens of times. So no, I eventually just... I did notice there were women in the story. No, I just like to Weird. bust your balls about being a misogynist. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think he no wa- misogynist. I yep. I do think he watched it, but I think he watched it at like two x speed, and he definitely was like yeah. not, not paying attention to the Black Rose arc. I kind of wonder if he wasn't really watching it or listening to it at the same time, because sometimes he seems to just like have looked at the visuals without listening to what's happening around him, or vice versa. 
Like, it's kind of weird. Like I said, I, I suspect a lot of this show was watched during the editing process of making the video, mm-hmm. which would absolutely explain that discrepancy. This is my tinfoil hat theory. I am I will never be able to prove it, but I have some strong supporting <laughs> evidence. I honestly, I think everyone here has made a pretty good case for their theory. Because at first, I had gotten the impression that it didn't seem like he has watched it. But you guys are right that there are enough, like, specific little things that, like, there's clearly something going on, even if he clearly doesn't understand it at all. I actually have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah! Do we think that he watched the movie? No. I absolutely think he watched the movie. But also the movie is even more confusing to someone who isn't paying attention or isn't wanting to engage with the material. <laughs> I, think I, he, I, so. I disagree. I think, I he, don't watched, think he watched most of the movie. I think he watched a highlight reel, a highlights of the movie. And yes. Or an AMV. <laughs> AMVs, yep. Yeah, like, straight up, thank you, Alice, you said exactly what I was thinking. Because it's like, if you look at how he brings the movie up and the specific footage in the video he uses, it's all moments you would find in an Utena movie highlight reel or by searching clips on YouTube. It's true. And the reason, the other reason I don't think he watched the movie is you can't watch that movie and not, and I contend this, be deeply obsessed with the fact that there is a car murder in it. There is a murder that has been plotted <laughs> where someone has been turned into a car. And if you don't reference that as a video essayist who's making this, wow, this show is so weird thing, you yeah. are a hack. Lightning McQueen was found a dead hack, Miami. to be fair, but still. <laughs> I think there's inconsistencies in how he describes events, like between both the movie and the show, that, like, he's definitely seen it, but did not really pay attention to it. Like, did he just fucking miss Wakaba's duel? Like, things like that. No, um, that he, knows, to. he knows mm-hmm. Wakaba had a duel because he brings it up, but, like. But he still talks as if it didn't happen. Exactly, his yeah. is still structured Much like, like it was there. Much like a lot of Utena fans, unfortunately, or not, not even a lot of Utena fans, I would say. I, I need to watch that. Much like a lot of people who casually watch the show, he has no idea what to do with the Black Rose arc, so he basically ignores it. Ignores it. Which is strange, because... It's the best one. It's the best one. It's the one that tends to hook people in. And just because Wakaba is... Well, yes, of course. But, but like... The fact that Wakaba was brainwashed doesn't mean that she's not involved, which is what he says about yeah. how mm-hmm. we can center our reading around her. It's just like, officer, I was definitely used as a pawn in this murder for hire scheme, but a gay hebophile therapist gave me this ring from a corpse, and I don't seem like I remembered stabbing people, so obviously I can't be involved. Yeah, wasn't me. It's a very bizarre thing to say because a lot of the Black Rose arc involves exploring the emotional bonds and failures to create bonds that exist within the supporting cast of Uden. And I don't think he cares about any of that. Well, he doesn't. Yeah. It, it doesn't support his reading, so it, it can't yeah. be examined. I, doesn't he say at some point that the whole point of that arc was to introduce Akio? A thing I would say jokingly. Yeah, quite literally. And I think in another part of the essay, he basically says, we have to say what the show is first, and then work backwards to find the evidence for our argument. That's not how, like, curiosity That's... about media works. <laughs> or anything. That's well, not no. the scientific method, sir. This is how we end up with analysis that, like, ends on, like, Ash was in a coma the entirety of Pokemon. Ugh. Like, that, th- this is the level of media analysis we're working with tonight, is... Without realizing it, because I guarantee you he would not think in this in this term in these terms. No. James Summerton has just written the equivalent of a comatose ash theory for Utena 
but he's dressed it up in the language of this is actually a deeply allegorical and spiritual, you know, reading of the show that massively diverges from how, how anyone else has ever seen it. Yeah. yeah, he basically does like a whole like blue curtains thing about it too. Yeah. He, he's inc- he, he's he incredibly haughty about it. And then says the blue curtains aren't even there, so we can just oh ignore God. them and ignore the whole rest of all of the symbols. I have never in my life just walked into a video essay and been struck by how banal its presentation is, and yeah. then read the transcript without that presentation and gone, wow, the, the banal presentation really did something for this script in that it caused me to not immediately notice how bug shit some of it is. Cass, were you distracted by his ugly little matador costume? <laughs> no, no, I was, I was distracted so by his extremely professional rose time-lapse and guitar melody <laughs> transition <laughs> chapter. Oh, God, those the title stock cards Spanish were... guitar music. Those God, title cards were also so ugly. <laughs> the Spanish guitar is clearly like a Sailor Moon thing, you dipshit. Like, <laughs> Utena is French. I, I weep. It's French. It's French yeah. inspired when you're talking about James Somerton. Yeah. yeah. It would have been, it was free. You could have just taken it. The, the whole thing is just suffused with a lack of curiosity and a desire to churn this out as quickly as possible because his Patreon supporters apparently brought up Utena enough that he finally just caved. Yeah, okay. Or whatever. Actually, no, that's the the story about that. The story about that. Yeah, can we briefly talk about that? Yes. Uh, Has everyone seen the Tumblr post? I will link it. uh, Yeah. I'm going to link it in the chat. So the reason that the Utena movie uh, or video got made is at one point he was LeBroke and is like, I need the monies, gets uh, a fundraising, you know, effort ongoing from his, his supporters and the reward for hitting, like, the milestones was going to be videos about things that they chose or whatever. And among those things was Utena and, and Evangelion. So he is making this video essentially under duress because people gave him extra cash for it. But then you find out from Dan Olson he used this money to buy a camera. And I cannot emphasize enough how incredibly on the nose that is, given he talks about Akio for an hour without mentioning that component of the character at all. I, I would like to note that originally this video as a Patreon goal was the title was, or the uh, perspective yep. title of the video was The Sapphic Beauty of Warrior Women, Sailor Moon, Revolutionary Girl, Utena, Xena, and She-Ra. Why does he have to say it like he's like some kind of 1910s pulp writer? <laughs> ah, the sapphic beauty of the warrior woman. Ah, this will sell great to amazing tales. Strand Magazine! Those Amazonians, I know what to say about them. I'm a, as a misogynist. Mm-hmm. We, so we don't we don't know 100% how this became just a video about Utena, but it seems that, like, when he announced, like, the patron goals were met and stuff, people were really excited about the possibility of him talking about Utena because, of course, you know, anytime Utena comes up, you get the... Utena fan base coming out of the cracks like Utena? Utena? Did someone say Utena? Did someone say Utena? (laughs) And so I imagine that he just thought, you know, like he could throw this together and fulfill that patron goal that they broke. And God, this video sucks so bad, guys. (laughs) It's just so incurious and just so like, oh, I had to make this, so here it is. Speaking of the video, I think 26 minutes in, we should probably start talking about what it actually says. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. probably. I, I, so can we skip like the first chunk of it? Because the first chunk of it is literally just him reading the Wikipedia. Yes, but only if we come back around to the postmodernism section at some point. I have, yes. I have to talk about it. We can start with section three if you want. The only thing I, I want to say about before that is that James Somerton has joined my 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 list of many enemies uh, for the implication that Chiho Saito only came around to supporting Usa oh, and Ampi yeah. as a couple after the series got popular. Yeah. Like, financially like, popular, dude, no less. What? Yes, he implies it was about Not financially popular. Fuck. Nothing sounds like, like success. success. As if there yeah. are no reasons for anybody to have reservations about the artistic execution of a gay couple in the 90s where fridging women and having le- schoolgirl lesbians, quote unquote, grow out of their attraction wasn't a huge concern for people who respected yep. their gay-, gay audiences. Well, and also, like, I mean, you know, we've gone over this, not not to mention all of the editorial struggles that Saito went through Yep, in, in regards to trying to put out the Usha manga to begin with. It's just, your misogyny is showing, James. Like, that's so... It's, like, it's a pattern. It's, it's such, a pattern. Yeah. It's, it, it is, yeah, it's absolutely, like, I shouldn't have been shocked to hear him say that, but when he did, like, it, that was like six minutes into the video, and I, like, wanted to throw up. I was so mad. <laughs> Yeah, it's, James loves to huge. basically cast straight women, quote unquote, as like the primary reason for queer phobia in all of his videos. And it's difficult yep. in this particular case because the rumor that Chiho Saito was homophobic is a very common myth that goes around on the surface of Utsuna fandom. And it's yeah, not true. We, and it sucks. It, it, it's why I like I'm totally not surprised that he included that in his video because like of course he would find the surface level bullshit and not investigate or examine anything Absolutely. further because because that are it already fit his narrative. Yeah. It's just another symptom of the incuriosity. And and when H Bomber guy like mentioned the he he kind of touches on it but he doesn't get into it too much but the misogyny is just rife in this video oh, because yeah. this is just a wall to wall opportunity to to face plant on the whole concept and he just takes every chance and the first chance he gets is Chiyo Saito had an argument and did it and it was about the gay thing and instead of investigating this at all he just like goes oh yes woman bad and moves on with life mm-hmm. and and that becomes a real pattern in his reading of the show which is strained his misogyny strains his reading of the text regardless of how much he watched or not it's just everywhere yeah, and that ends up like wrapping back around because the misogyny informs how he reads the core character of the narrative, Anthe. And oh God, yeah. Of, the way he mm-hmm. strips her of her autonomy in mm-hmm. like emotionally and d- insists that not only is Sionji her boyfriend, it's established in the first episode, he literally owns her. And how mm-hmm. he says, oh yeah, she can't think or feel anything without the instruction of her master. It wraps her back around to being downright racist. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. There's lots of that too, and he just doesn't even. Yeah, he doesn't inquire that into that. Just does all. not give a fuck. No, nope. just boils my blood. Not only does he strip Anthe of her agency, but I'm sorry, you cannot describe Anthe Himamia as shy. Shy and reclusive. I'm reclusive. Shy and reclusive. Sure. Reclusive. I can see she does tend to. Like, not necessarily be the most, like, I want to go to the places that people are all the time in the way that, say, maybe, I don't know, Toga might. But, like, 
She's not shy, dog. She's not a sh- she's not a wilting no. flower. She like he's very eager to read her that way, though. I know, and it's just yeah, down to making a really disgusting joke referring oh, to God. Oh, Utena uh, as, a, as, like, the top the and top. Anthe as the bottom. I'm sorry, but, like, th- I read that, and I guess I was less disturbed by it than you guys, because I'm like, no, that just sounds like basically 90% of not only every queer-oriented Tumblr I've ever read, but, like, 90% of queer Twitter. Just It's just what it sounds like to me. That's what all of it sounds like. Here's the thing. The thing is, is that, like, we, I I would venture to say even, like, a lot of the people on this very Discord call have made uh, tasteless jokes about this series, uh, for better or for worse. But, like... I have been canceled multiple times for these kinds of jokes. But it just, like, the the way that he goes about it, it betrays such a fundamental misunderstanding of like oh, no, the no. series and the characters that it's like I agree no, what I was I trying to say right, was though. not that like it was exceptional more that how is this what I was trying to say was I guess it didn't bother me as much as the other stuff even though it did bother me because it just like what the reaction you were having is reaction I have to like 90% of of the, my fellow queer people on Twitter and the way that they talk about literally everything so <laughs> I guess you know what it's like to be Alice for a couple of seconds, trying to read Twitter. It also just comes weird, like, because he makes a point earlier in the video about how you have to remember that she's a teenage high school student. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, school. middle no, school student. Better. He's very middle clear, school you student. So then he forgets this. and calls her a high school student. Yeah, he forgets <laughs> his own video. But but then he he makes that joke. I don't know. No, yeah, that's, I mean, that also is a totally separate it, thing. It's, that's it's very sucks. grody and... It actually bothered the fuck out of me on multiple levels. The The biggest one was actually just, like, sitting there and going, like, I think I had a reaction to it where I, I just kind of, like, fritzed out for a moment. And I'm like, Alice, you bring up a good point. This is how a lot of people talk casually on Twitter. But it's specifically in the context of making Twitter shit posts, And mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing where, like, this is funny if you're flirting with someone you know, or if you, like, making this kind of comment, it's funny if you're flirting with someone you know, or it's funny if, like, you are specifically in a space where it can be understood that your tongue is firmly in your cheek. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt James Somerton thought he was in that space, but my my brother in Christ, you are in the middle of a fucking serious analysis. James Somerton is so bad at fucking integrating humor or jokes because he is yeah, it's so a man bad. without joy in his heart. And I firmly believe this. <laughs> also, the joke is just not true. Yeah, it's not even an accurate It's not even, it's, it's, it's not an accurate su- summary of their relationship either. That was like the least of my issues with it. But yeah, it's like also not true. <laughs> yeah, it's the exact opposite of what's happening. Uzna is forcing her ideals of what it means to be a normal girl onto yes, Andy. Yes. That's not advocating for her needs. Okay, I think we should read this this paragraph because it does seem to summarize really clearly a lot of the problems he has, including his inability to make a fucking joke. Sure. So, he says, I, I'll try, I, I'm bad at reading, I'll try my best. Utena, through her close and apparent engagement to Anthe, works at coaching Anthe to think for herself. An unfortunate drawback of the Rose Bride is the Rose Bride can only ever do or feel the way she is instructed to by her betrothed. Even as her bridegroom, Utena tirelessly coaches Anthe to advocate for her own needs and her own feelings and to do what she wants, rather than what her magical husband person tells her to be. I'm sure tops of all genders can identify with both the irony and endless struggle of trying to coax 
their bottoms into being less subservient. Ow. You just also like fifth thing down on the on the weird thing here. James, you did not have to tell on yourself like that. He's just telling on himself. It's just just nonstop narking, snitching yeah. everywhere. It is exhausting. And the great thing, so like this this framing I have seen before. This is a common he does okay, mm, Miss Andrew showing here. This is this is the, the the first draft read I have seen many times of when guys watch Utena. No, you're right. And haven't really thought about it much yet, but that's their first reading of it. Mm-hmm. But it never stays their first reading unless they've already left the fandom. Any guy that sticks around for like 10 minutes looks at this and goes, wait, that's not really, that's not really right. But like, he does have that like surface level, I've watched the dub, you know, I was drinking some beers and, and playing with my dogs at the same time kind of vibe where it's easiest to presume that the women are going to be undermined. So you just read it that way. And then you make a joke about tops and bottoms. Which isn't the last time he makes an, imp- an inappropriate sex joke, because he also does a whole thing about, oh, and are Toga and Akio fucking? Well, Akio has chaotic bi energy. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get to we'll get First to of that. all, yeah. alignment-wise, he's obviously got lawful bi energy, so that's just wrong. Agreed. Some, sometimes you just have to make a Dungeons & Dragons joke for you and your wife and no one else. No, no, I got that. I like it. <laughs> I'm actually kind of. I'm sorry. I'm, I I got stuck trying to think about whether or not I would say Akio is lawful or chaotic. You can make a strong <laughs> argument for either. Moving on. Okay, so what what do we want to address? Do we want to focus in on postmodernism? Yeah, because he brings up the postmodernism and then just uses it to not really discuss the rest of anything. I think at one point he's like, eh, "But we have postmodernism, so unfortunately we have to read it this way." And it's like. Bro, if you don't like this kind of media, don't watch it. Miss Speaker, may I take the floor? May, may, I, may I take the well? Thank Absolutely. you. You have the conch. It's your turn to speak. I want nothing more. And I quote, Postmodernism is a literary, artistic, philosophical school of thought. Something, something, Wikipedia uses big words. They were so big that James Summerton did not bother to read the Wikipedia for postmodernism, or he would not have written this paragraph. Yep. This isn't even the last time he mentions Wikipedia. I have a bone to pick with every single person who talks about postmodernism as if postmodernism means, I don't know, you just make it up. You don't know what it means. You don't know what relativism is. It doesn't mean what you think it means. And for God's sakes... If you don't understand what a word means, stop using it until you know. The thing about James Summerton is that his source is that he made it the fuck up. Nice argument. James Summerton. Why don't you back it up with a source? My source is that I made it the fuck up. First off, it's not a school. Like, calling it a school of thought is, that's debatable. It is a tendency. It can be seen as a kind of a period. But it's not a school of thought. The entire point of, like, the postmodern, the things that postmodernists agree on across philosophical and literary divides is that they don't really buy into meta narratives, into big stories. They don't buy into overarching, all consuming, unifying schools of thought. Then why is he applying it to Utena? He's applying it to Utena because in the brains of people who I do not like, 
postmodernism has a little equal sign into it next to weird shit that is kooky. They think that if something is vague or in any way ambiguous, that if they call it postmodern, they can imply that they understand the inexplicable and ineffable parts of it. That without having to ever engage with the thing, they can sort of characterize it in what is frankly a Fox News commentator's understanding of what that word means. <laughs> and I quote, Postmodernism is rooted heavily in relativism, implores a rejection of stable and concrete. That's not even a, that doesn't make any sense. Those are not the right words. Let alone universal truths due to the focus around ephemerality, identity, and especially the ways that identity could be concealed or altered. None of that is true. Literally every word of it is wrong. Makes me feel better about my ears glazing over. <sighs> like, in contrast yeah. to the modernists, first off, no, the modernists cared about all those things. I, too, have never read a single book by any of the American writers between 1900 and 1930. <laughs> I, too, did not have to at any point read, um, oh, fuck, what's his name? Ah, uh, help me here, Cass, The yeah, Sacred exactly. Pasta of Life. Oh, my God, uh, Hemingway. Fucking Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, I, too, have never heard of, of Hemingway. Like, <laughs> implore is, is not the right word there anyway. Relativism does not just mean I make shit up. Relativism is a catch-all term for, like, a bunch of different things which do not agree with each other, and almost none of them are just this kind of loosey-goosey, I make shit up. James, why are you talking, why are you using that word like you're my conservative fundamentalist Southern Baptist father? That's part of it. Uh, my theory is this is postmodernism is the thing you lob at revolutionary girl Utena when you are trying to talk about it outside the framework of it being an anime in Japan in the 90s. Because in that, in that case, you would be like, it's a deconstruction. And he actually, I don't think he ever uses he that. He doesn't. It's one of the few sins he does not commit. I will yeah. give him that. But he had to commit this one instead. It's going to be one or the other if you're trying to be a pretentious jackass and talk about Utena. It's postmodern or it's deconstruction. That's the thing. That's what this all boils down to is that I don't think James Somerton gives a shit about anime. I think no, he doesn't. I, or, no, or I don't think yeah. he ever gave a shit about anime. I think he knew that his audience liked it and saw dollar signs. Like, there's yeah. this bit where he's like, now it's easy to see how this anime fits into a postmodern framework. I mean, okay. Is it? Sure. You're right. But... Like, okay, I also know that anime existed between 1980 and now. Like, postmodern thinkers and writers have been incredibly influential on anime since the 80s. I mean, the, them and the writers that the postmoderns also, like, read and looked back to have been a big part of anime since fucking Gundam. Mm -hmm. Like, you could say that about anything. You can talk about a postmodern framework with fucking Simpo gear. Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's like would, saying probably. that, and now it's obviously you can tell that this anime uses color. <laughs> there's, there's shades of color and they have meaning in this anime. You are in the same paragraph with one of my a favorite. A distrust of video. therapy. This is, a, of course, about. <laughs> let, let me read the whole sentence. Let's, let's back up. Yeah, there is an ongoing discussion about gender developing sexuality. 
coming of age, direct to indirect challenges to establish values, no ED there, a question of truth versus illusion, a distrust of, th of therapy that feels at home in Scientology, and ultimately a th threat of losing oneself in a sea of modernity. One, this entire sentence is so badly designed that I don't know what half of it means. The, de the delivery is no better when he reads it. There's a missing comma that I forgot to add in. And also the established, it could have been established in the video. It's possible. But since I, I would like to note the transcript that we are using was, I don't know who original, I, I know that it was given to me by Kai, who was on the Weed Crew yeah. uh, stream. And he said that it was like AI generated in some way. I don't know what the, the exact source of that was, but then they cleaned it up. And then I further cleaned it up because I'm insane uh, while I was watching the video and but there are a couple of places that i probably even even so. with that it's still like absolutely still staying firm on that i can do no other because like the there is oh, an sure. ongoing discussion about gender comma developing sexuality comma coming of age directed indirect challenges to establish values Man, those are ideas you cannot lump together into a list as if they are shocking. Yeah, just scroll all that you put into a cart. But the distrust of therapy that feels at home with Scientology. This dude didn't watch. There's a note here. Uh, I believe this is actually you, Lonnie, who was saying the gay historian cannot possibly understand why institutions centered around scrutinizing a person's mental state may possibly be framed in unfavorably by a narrative full of queer people in the 90s. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. He frames himself as an authority on so many topics within the video and then just completely misses so much context that actually is relevant to the story and completely misunderstands basic details. One thing that I wanted to bring up when we were talking about Anthe was him saying that her love of animals is something seemingly benign and uselessly cute, like choo-choo, and serves uh, to help, help, help characterize Anthe as a sympathetic character who is earnest in her sensitivity rather than it being a front to help her brother groom girls at the school. I am, I'm foaming at the mouth. I'm pissing blood. I'm weeping and calling out to God and wondering why the fuck this is as actual reading of Anthea as a character. The mask she puts on rather than I don't even understand. The degree to which he fundamentally does not understand Anthe as a character is like, it's just so extreme. Like, I can't even, I can't even. Yeah. Just for, just for a moment, if I could, if I could bring it back to the. Yes, of the course, I would love to say. That one, I'm sorry, but postmodernism doesn't like therapy. Uh, Jacques Lacan <laughs> and. <laughs> Guile Deleuze's fucking uh, Felix Guattari are were psychoanalysts. Lacan was a psychiatrist. How do you bring up postmodernism and not talk about like people who like are a part of this constellation of thought and a part of that conversation, and then give me some dumbass shit about like how believing in thetans is the same thing as having mild like having some structural criticisms of the medical industrial complex like those are um, not yeah. the same he literally just doesn't understand what's going on in the black rose arc because he probably wasn't paying that much attention because he says himself that he doesn't think it moves the plot forward and and then you get like the only other thing that's in this section that's true is the whole postmodern writing 
is full of unreliable narrators. It's like, yeah, it, it is. That's true. Imagery of mirrors. What are you talking about? Mass being trapped in liminal spaces. Again, what are you talking about? A use of glitter to describe seemingly I think there's also a things. missing comma between masks and being trapped in liminal spaces. Yeah, like none of that shit after unreliable narrators. I have no idea what he's talking about. None of that shit is and true. And with unreliable narrator, he's going to presume Akio is a reliable narrator. Yeah, no, he does. Just he absolutely just presumes, hook, line, sinker, yeah. never God, questions so it funny. after bringing it up, and then says one of the probably the most egregious thing I've ever seen someone say in an essay format where they want me to take them seriously, and I quote, Also unfortunate is that existentialism was a primary influence for Ayn Rand and her school of objectivism. I need, I need a second. Here? I need a moment. Okay. First off, I just want to say up front, this is the most wrong thing I have ever seen. When, 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 like, when the second coming was being written and W.E.B. Yates was, like, doing shrooms in a closet and he was thinking about, like, the things slouching towards Bethlehem to be born, the vision he saw in his future was this weird man with a crybaby face writing, also unfortunate is that existentialism was a primary influence for Ayn Rand. It's, it's like that bit from Lenin where, like, some years, weeks happen and some weeks, years happen. It's like some sentences, the entire library from Borges's fucking infinite library gets sucked into a black hole and we lose it forever. Ayn Rand was influenced by the fucking Greeks. She infamously, famously rejected almost all philosophy after fucking Aristotle. Existentialism... Is one of her was was a great enemy of hers. She adamantly refused to acknowledge any legitimacy in most of the writers we think of as existentialists. She saw them as one of some of her primary ideological enemies. To tie her to this, which is what the what he's really doing is trying to sort of a weird tie in to postmodern thought, but also to drag existentialists in as well. It's like. I don't know what the fuck he was trying to do here. It's just more of his weird editorial. He just threw in a thing because he was thinking about her that day. And it's like trying to explain to me that the reason I don't understand current events is that I don't get that secretly the Dalai Lama has been the Pope the whole time. It's it's just completely, oh God, I I can literally feel... My brain liquefying Your out blood my pressure ears. Is just... It's giving me heart palpitations. What's weird to me is I'm looking at this, and like two paragraphs later, he's he throws off a line at the end of a, of a paragraph. It's like it's like Game of Thrones with miniskirts, and these two lines are the same line. This is like he these have nothing to do with the actual text. They're not clever. They're not thought out. But he feels like he needs to add in some words about real things that aren't animu. So that people keep paying attention. It's like a little smirk at the end. It's like, haha, I'm above this. These things are yeah. stupid and for like losers who don't get a hundred bazillion dollars. I'm fooling all of you and making money off of it. I get to make fun of people who worked for for any of this at the okay. end of every fucking I have I, I have a deep dark theory here. This okay. is my, my little baby theory, and I kinda hate it. So I think some of it, you're right, he is doing a very, like, wink, wink, nod, animu thing. I think on another level, though, James Somerton is very bad at writing because he hasn't done a lot of it on his own in a very long time. And so he is trying his hardest to emulate the vibe 
of more successful presenters in his exact genre. Mm-hmm. And I don't know all of his influences, but I do know at least one because he's talked about it. He's a huge Lindsay Ellis fan. I think he's trying to do what Lindsay Ellis will often do with, like, asides where she makes... She'll do a cutaway to, like, an unrelated piece of media that provides an ironic counterpoint or a little bit of a punchline to the yeah, thing she's just said. Yeah, but he's said. failing to do this well. Yeah, he, he's trying to do that kind of joke, and the, but... A, he doesn't understand how that joke actually lands, and B, that's actually kind of hard because you have to edit new footage into the video and get it past YouTube and all that. So Mm -hmm. he just writes asides and kind of leans on them a little too hard. And he's just not a very funny guy, so none of them work. Nope. I have my own theory about some of these little asides. Not necessarily, like, all of his editorializing. Like, I find the uh the bit about Ayn Rand to be very bizarre like out of left field thing to just throw in at the end of that bit in the video but I have a theory about he notably only reference like he only references non-anime media specific like he only references I'm mostly like live action American. That's his, or that's his body British. of work and familiarity. And and yeah, and and part of me is like, is he only making these references because he does not give a shit about anime and therefore doesn't have like a frame of reference for these things as they're situated within anime? But also it feels like he's got kind of like a coward's way out there by he could easily claim that like he's only making references to non-anime media because like that makes it more accessible to a wider audience he's trying to make it palatable for people that don't like anime i'd like to propose a theory and that is just that he's just plain embarrassed to be associated with this material oh my god i think you're right uh this guy is he is very very obsessed with his personal image to the point where he was caught uh, using that money that he said in his uh, Patreon advertisements was due to him not affording a place to live or mental health or something or other. Um, I don't remember what the rumor was, but mm-hmm. he is constantly paying for... He's not constantly paying. He's positioning himself as an authority while plagiarizing Wikipedia. He's got all these dumb little like costumes. He's spending money on expensive cameras and the thing is how embarrassing to feel that you are the voice of a specific gay community and you are being associated with these cartoons that you feel are for children if you don't respect it then you're going to be absolutely mortified that your benefactors want you to pay respect to something so unabashedly anime Azutana. And so all of these yeah. references, I believe, are just him trying to claw back some sense of normalcy by c- constantly going out of the anime space and pretending that he's not doing what he's doing. Okay, I, I, I think yeah. I, I actually have a mild counterpoint to that, which is sure. that James Somerton, I don't think it's just that he thinks anime is, like, childish. Because if it, that was a problem, he wouldn't have spent literally one of his first big videos plagiarizing a book about Disney movies. Like, he obviously considers animation on some level to be worth critical analysis. Well, no, that's Disney. That's art. I mean, his number two his exactly. number two demographic is Disney adults. That's where I was going with this, though. Like, 
he's perfectly fine treating animation seriously. The thing he has a problem treating seriously is specifically anime, and specifically he has a problem treating it seriously, not because he thinks it's childish, but because he thinks it's for weirdos. He's yeah. doing the same bit that Lindsay Ellis did. Because Lindsay Ellis does a lot of, her larger body of work was like Disney, uh, you know, content and stuff like that. And every once in a while, anime would come up and she'd kind of joke like, I don't know anything about, but, but the joke was that she didn't know anything about anime and that wasn't her wheelhouse. And he's just doing it as, I don't like anime. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, like, Lindsay Ellis had the integrity to, like, not try to cover things that she wasn't actually invested in. Exactly. I would also like to circle back on Cass's point. Disney was considered important because, to quote Robin Williams, that was the Rolls Royce of animation. And it really strikes my attention that James Somerton only ever seemed to give adequate attention to Yuri on Ice, which was very grounded, quote unquote, in reality. There was no fantastical elements. It was just a skating anime. It's also an anime about gay men. Exactly. Yuri on Ice broke containment was the thing. I don't remember if you- Where were you when the Crunchyroll Anime Awards fell? Like- I was there when Yuri on Ice blew up, like, because I was super invested in that show, actually. And I remember it ended up sweeping the little, like, weird Voter's Choice Awards that Crunchyroll ran that year. And there was some in-anime fandom controversy about the fact that it swept a bunch of categories that arguably it shouldn't have because that season had a bunch of other exceptionally strong shows that more or less got overlooked for it. Yeah, I, I, I dimly remember that. Yeah, and, like... A lot of people were big mad about that, and the explanation most people came up with at the time, who weren't, like, raging conspiracy theorists getting mad at women for liking shows, was that Yuri on Ice had broken containment. It got out of the general anime fandom and into the wider world of TV-watching audiences. I think it's kind of notable that the two anime videos James Somerton made before this were Yuri on Ice and Attack on Titan. Which is exactly, one of the only yes. other shows I can think of that broke containment that way. It's anime yeah, for normies. It's anime for mm-hmm. normies, and that's he's comfortable with that. Yeah, he's there's extremely also, comfortable with that. It's not tech. It's not an anime, but I would kind of like I would group this video in with uh, with those the killing stalking video. I know is one yep. that that yeah, actually yeah. I if I remember correctly was one of the videos that like kind of put. James Somerton on the map as far as YouTube goes. I know that that was the first video that I ever saw of his. So, you know, I I think that that's uh, significant in the the grand scheme of these things, that even if it's not an anime, like, it's in that realm of... Yeah, and like, the, the problem I have here is it's like, it is fine for people outside of general anime fandom to talk about these shows. Like, obviously it is. That... Yeah. We should probably like make it clear. The, the issue here is not James Somerton not being an anime guy. I think in a lot of ways, Utena is a show that has a lot of things going on with it that should make it more able to appeal to people who maybe aren't as invested in anime as a, um, as a movement, or at least anime as it currently exists right now in the year of our Lord 2023. Mm-hmm. But he is... The problem is that he is specifically engaging with it from a position, what appears to be, as we read this transcript, kind of a 
detached position that shows that he doesn't have a personal attachment to it. It's like you're coming to hear someone talk about how they were personally affected by interacting with a work of art, and instead they quote Wikipedia to you on two separate but, like, tangentially related topics for about 30 minutes, make a Game of Thrones joke, make a sex joke, uh, say they thought one of the guys in it was hot, and then rapidly change the subject. One of the pedophiles in it was hot, actually. Yeah. It's... Well, James doesn't believe the pedophilia actually happened, so... Yeah, that didn't happen because Wakaba didn't... Oh, I... we, we haven't even talked about the Wakaba thing! Yeah, we haven't... Oh my god! We haven't talked about how, because of this, I now steadfastly refuse to believe that anything that appears to be sort of symbolic or metaphorical is that. I'm now a truther. Every single thing in here is meant to be taken literally, <laughs> including the aliens bit... And every single part of the Naname weird episodes about eggs and cows and stuff. It's all oh, yeah, literal. Like every every single, the bit in the student council chamber where one of the, there's a visual gag of cutting back and forth in the conversation as uh, Toga just increasingly gets on, like, bigger, like, political, platform, <laughs> political platforms for making speeches. That was literally totally happening. That, I'm every every that cut on that camera, they're running to the back room and pulling out a prop. <laughs> yeah, like so the thing is, is that James Summerton spends the beginning of this video like hyping up that he's got like this hot take. He's got this new, fresh look at Utina yeah. that like go that defies even the Wikipedia page for the series. And um I'm just gonna hot take. I'm gonna yeah. I'm going to take a mo. It's my turn to read a paragraph. Do it. And I'm going to do that. In my reading of Utena, there is very little that we can verifiably say is not symbolic or directly allegorical of something. <laughs> this anime incorporates nearly every significant icon of postmodern language. It would be wrong to assume that this is not deeply allegorical. <laughs> Objection! Objection! What are you talking about, Jimmy? What? Are we just going to take the Dio stuff seriously when it serves the plot so much more significantly to say that the background mythology is meant to characterize the way these characters interact. What the fuck? My reading of this media is that there isn't a whole lot we can take at face value and much, much more that we can assume is fantastical illusion meant to convey deeper meaning about what the author has to say about power, abuse, control, schooling, adolescence in general, especially because the final two episodes strongly imply even misleadingly that everything fantastical about this story from the duels, the castle, the power of Dios was an illusion projected by holograms. Excuse Foucault me, James, is eating his way out of his grave. James Summerton, genius analytical man, writer of such scintillating video essays as that one time he misquoted several things that gay activists did as being organized personally by Bob Iger, CEO of Disney. Yep, yep. yep uh, inventor that. of Skype. You know what? There is an interesting video this guy could have made because he clearly does not like anime and is not familiar with Utena. And he could have approached it that way and said, hey, I'm going to make this video exploring this thing from a point of view that isn't usually like a fan of it. And we're going to roll with that. He cannot physically allow himself to do that because he has to speak as if he is from a position of authority about everything. He can't just let himself vibe. So instead we get the, the blisteringly hot take. 
that yeah. no one's ever had before, that the events of Revolutionary Girl Utna might in fact be allegorical or symbolic of things in Wild. the real world. I'm fucking The terrible thing floored. is, fundamentally, he does the same thing with Akio. He, he has to speak from authority, and he imbues Akio with the voice of authority, and everything in his reading of this show boils down to believing what Akio says. Yeah, it's so funny how much he takes Akio at face value. Yes! The one that has the least face in, like, at all, he takes it face value. All Which, the time. it is funny, I, I highlighted in green a sentence down here, it's a very, like, baby's first thought about Utsuna, but I, yes. I liked this sentence and so I felt like I wanted to give Summerton, like, there's like two crumbs of credit I'm going to give him, and this is one of them. Uh, though in the same breath where Akio explains that people see the ca- see a castle because they're too naive to see the power of the chairman's residence, they see the more literal power of a castle. Akio doesn't seem to question himself at all, and whether or not the chairman's office is an illusion he is choosing to see. I like the little bit about Akio, the chairman's office, being an illusion that he is choosing to see. That is good. But... That's that's but I all think it's I'm an getting. accident. I think this is monkeys on a typewriter, and he makes one astute observation. In yeah. one and a half, because he also does again accurately somehow at some point in this hit on the fact that it is meaningful that all of the driving scenes that symbolize characters being ushered into adulthood take place in Akio's car and exclusively Akio's car until Toga and Sayanji decide to team up to try and essentially, like, save Utna, and they, and they have hit the scene on the tandem bike. There's also the bit where uh, he talks about, like, he he's doing some very basic symbology, talking about the castle and, like, what a castle represents and how it being inverted means that, like, that's, like, a, a perversion on the But we could go deeper. Of what a, because a, a castle is like a tower, and in the Tarot, the tower represents misfortune, and an inverted tower is an even bigger misfortune. So really, the castle was always symbolizing that at the end of this story, one of the protagonists would meet disaster. I, I'm not going to lie, I was not impressed by that, mostly because it required- I'm not impressed, I just thought it was like, I yeah, thought it was fine. It's fine, yeah. but also like, I actually actively disliked it a lot more than I disliked some of his bug shit takes. And I think part of that is that his level of analysis there is very, very... Oh, it's so shallow. Yeah, it's extremely shallow in a way that felt insulting to me. Because it's like, (laughs) if you're really going to come out swinging like, I, Jimmy Summertime, am the first man to ever discover symbolism in Utena and or allegory, are you really going to come at me with this vague-ass collective unconscious castles always have a specific meaning we can associate with them in fiction? And inverting a symbol often means inverting its meaning bullshit. This is the kind of shit I expect from, like, how to read Harry Potter fan novels from, well, like, yeah, no. 2004. Get on a higher level, my man. In the context of, like, him, like, hyping up his hot take, like, it is very funny that, like, he gives such a shallow analysis. But I was just like, uh, he has a point here. Even if it's, like... Yeah. The shallowest and, like, baby's first thought about Utena, uh, I just was like, this isn't wrong. Well, let's pretend that his hot take is the one thing he does present that is a hot take. Yes, his big hot take is that- The of Walkabout, being your center character. 
his big hot take is that nothing in the show is real except for what Wakaba experiences. Except when the thing that Wakaba experiences doesn't fit with James's narrative. In that case, it was all a dream. Remember, kids, Anthony didn't commit suicide because it didn't happen in front of Wakaba. And also, uh, none of the sexual assault happened because it did not happen in front of Wakaba. And he he sets that up, but he doesn't throw, he doesn't actually finish the thought in the video. And I think it's because he realizes that maybe he shouldn't be saying, my reading removes all of the sexual assault from this story. It makes it irrelevant. He kind of is. Yeah. But that is what he's saying ultimately and it's that that again that's the kind of take i get from dudes on facebook that want to tell me i misread akio that's a wild just but but yeah i think that's his big hot take is that his reading is that wakaba is the figure that helps determine what is real and what is not in the story he forgets or doesn't address at all how that would impact the black rose saga he doesn't seem to notice that means that there was absolutely a moment where you know, Nanami turns into a cow. Like, he feels like he can just hand wave all of the allegorical or symbolic or wild kind of content in Utena away by being like, here's a normal girl. Everything the normal girl see happens. You know, I, I have it, yeah. an interesting thing to say here. I No, I should not say that because it would be boring now that I've hyped it up. I learned that <laughs> from you, Jimmy. I learned it from watching you. <laughs> no, uh, like, let's pretend for about half a second, that this totally unearned, very brain-dead reading of the series, let's pretend it was made in good faith and that it contained some element of truth. He almost has something. Not in the sense of, like, Wakaba is, like, a lens to read the series through. He has hit on something interesting, which is that of the supporting characters... In some ways, Wakaba is the closest character in Utena to representing where an, or- an ordinary audience member would find themselves if transported to this environment. A lot of her specific emotional struggles, compared to those of the other characters, are what could be considered very mundane. She doesn't have a lot of tragedy hanging over her. A lot of the things that she struggles with are things that are very archetypically common for you know, characters in a romance story to struggle with. There is an argument that Wakaba is a character that, like, the audience could project themselves onto very easily and might be, you know, in some ways the closest one to the audience. But that doesn't... Mm-hmm. I. But then, like, if you have hit on that and you've hit on, like, that kernel of truth in there, it seems to me that it's irresponsible to not then talk at least about what the Black Rose arc does with Wakaba, Mm-hmm. because he dismisses that all as like she does one duel but she was brainwashed at the time the thing about the Black Rose arc is it's all about revealing sides to the supporting characters that ordinarily would not and could not be things they would willingly show and Wakabuzz is probably the most significant to the entire story in some ways because it's the one that most deeply affects Utna and forces her mm-hmm. to you know, emotionally react in the most direct way because Wakaba is someone who's close to her. And he just walks right past any meaning you could draw from that. There is kind of an interesting level on which Wakaba getting upgraded into a duelist, you know, is kind of like 
if we look at her as sort of like this was the closest person we had in the story to an audience surrogate, what does it mean for the closest person we had to an audience surrogate being kind of drafted into the core story in the way she is during the Black Rose arc? What does it say mm. about her? What does it say about the fact that we thought that was something true about her? He could go so many directions with that, and he goes nowhere. I I would actually like to jump in and say, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I feel like in the hindsight from James Somerton's plagiarism scandal and how H. Bomber guy basically talks about plagiarism as a symptom of somebody trying to find themselves, I'm wondering if Wakaba's storyline applies a lot to James Somerton because a lot of her angst is from not being chosen by society in the same way that the other characters are. She doesn't feel special. She's treated as disposable. And uh, ironically, there's this wealth of potential in here where uh, she immediately starts flourishing in her classes and her sports and social life once she starts to get the attention of somebody who she feels chosen by. And even when she is very explicitly rejected by being quote-unquote replaced by Anthe, something that she something that Anthe definitely orchestrated in order to trigger those feelings, Wakaba became such a formidable opponent that she almost killed Anthe. She became the closest person to getting the job done mm-hmm. possible. And the speech that she mm-hmm. gives to Utena is fucking world-rocking because it changes our whole perspective of these people and how they treat their shadows, the Black Rose duelists who are so sick and tired of being treated as disposable and neglected by these people that they're willing to kill a random girl just to get their attention. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he wanted to put that together. That might have made him uncomfortable. Exactly. Instead, he's going to talk about cars and stuff. If James Somerton is a fiction, I will analyze him like a fiction. I'm sorry to steal your shit, Vanna, but (laughs) I I bounced on it the second I realized it, and it just felt so goddamn good. That's how I feel. Like, let's just disembowel this. Like, in this framing, like, he lacks the confidence of that sort of thing. He's got this very misogynistic approach to the narrative that tells me a lot about how he's been framing other pieces of media. Like, if this is the lens he's taking with Utena, and, you know, we as just insane Utena fans can look at it and be like, bro, you are looking at this from the worst angle. Akio's angle. Not great. We can see that he's... Like, he doesn't. I don't know. It's... Uh... If I can sort of yeah. put a neat little bow on this, I'm going to scroll up in the group chat and basically give the uh, H-Bomber guy quote when he was interviewed about the plagiarism, because I think mm-hmm. it's salient to talking about James Somerton, how, not only how he sees Wakaba, but how he views the rest of the narrative. Quote from Harris Brewer, uh, H-Bomber guy, I think James, at best, was always at least two years behind on whatever the conversation was. By the time he had the chance to make the videos he'd obviously wanted to make for a while venting these frustrations, the frustrations would be aimed at people whose identities he doesn't understand. And the thing that struck me about so much of his Utena analysis was that it felt like, I'm sorry, 15 years behind. Yeah. It does. Without the context of all the conversations happening within Empty Movement, how we built on each other's ideas and talked to each other about our various analyses of the show, he's stuck in the past. I'm going to put this away that you're free to cut if, if it feels a little uncomfortable. This whole vibe that I get off of how he reads this show is he is a gay man that is not comfortable with queer media. Yep. Like, I... like do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, it, there. there's kind of a, like, he is so uncomfortable with media that is not falling into his view of what gayness should look like. And in Utna, that result 
is like he has nothing to say because all of these relationships are queer and most of them involve women. And notice how little he has said about anything about the developing emotional arc of Utena and Anthe or any of that. He is not interested in the sapphic experience in Utena. All he, the only time he actually brings up gayness or queerness in, a, in an explicit, he brings up Juri and Shuri like once and then makes the Toga and Akio sex joke, which is fucking horrifying in this in this framework. What's incredible to me on a couple of levels there is he also walks right past Sayonji and Toga, who have probably, if you're going like, to look at men cooking up in the show, the moment they have in bed with each other is actually one of the only times in this series specifically where like that's portrayed as kind of a positive moment where these mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. otherwise kind of not great people have a moment of connection because they are able to actively approach each other as equals. Yeah, and the fact that Sayonji and Toga, well, Sayonji basically functions as Toga's rose bride and allows him to use his autonomy in order to try to talk some sense into, well, quote unquote, talk some sense into Utena yeah. by besting her in a duel. That is something that I think also plays into the queerness of it. The ability to play with gender roles outside of who is the societally deemed twink and who's a societally deemed bear or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I don't I don't know that it's fair to say that he's uncomfortable with queer media. I think he's just uncomfortable with queer media that is outside postmodern queer media. He he's uncomfortable with queer media that is outside the scope of like his experience. Yeah. It, it might be that. It might also just be that he has a very specific taste in queer media that this does not I think it's also agenda. that. Cuz like if you also, the, the guy had like a, an extremely obsessively bad. From what I can tell, one of James Summerton's big bugbears is he is deeply obsessed with the idea of cis women who pretend to be cool with gay people but cannot abide the idea of a gay man actually fucking. And he yeah. seems genuinely invested in media that shows open sexual relationships explicitly depicted between gay men and that's not me judging him for that for the record i think that's actually you know that's fine it is a problem that some that some people do in fact like see gay men as basically being like accessories and it is in fact kind of a thing that there's not enough of in the world compared to like how we do other things it's just more that's what he likes but he's picked up an audience who's obviously very into series that are like way more about playing with gender in ways that he does not seem to have the language to to really engage yeah with. the thing about h-bomb saying that he's always a few years behind feels very prescient on that because i do remember the discourse quote-unquote on utna you know like a decade ago 15 years ago did focus much more on the, the sexual the sexualities of the characters who's yeah. gay who's bi you know, etc. And the more modern reading is gender. It It's the show gender. Revolutionary girl gender. And he's totally missing that. And that just feels very strange from someone who is presenting themselves as, you know, this pioneering queer creator. But it tracks with the rest of his choices. He is yeah. someone who is eagerly consuming the queer media efforts of smaller people and presenting it as his own. He is not trying to support the community. He's not trying to explore it. 
He's not trying to keep up with it or learn anything new from it. This would have been an opportunity to do that, and he didn't take it. Yeah, I would also like to jump back in there and say I I sort of regret agreeing with the he's uncomfortable with queer media take because yeah, that's not I don't quite wanna, yeah yeah I don't want to police anybody's you know identity expression just because I am personally unhappy with their other behaviors, but I will say. The shift from sexuality to gender when it comes to the conversation makes me very happy that you're doing the archival work that you have for so many years because it makes it a lot easier to see how the onion is formed between how a person begins with, oh, hey, this is gay. I get to see characters do kind of gay shit, sweet, and then go deeper and deeper into, oh, these people's identities are incredibly layered and their ability to relate to their peers is deeply informed by the power dynamics and the warped self-perception that they have of themselves due to the power systems that exist outside of them. Mm-hmm. It is very parfait-like, I guess. I think that's what I mean by, like, like queerness. He's he's not wanting to engage with, like, unpeeling the onion. He wants the onion to just be done already. He wants the onion to fuck on camera. Yeah. He wants the onion to fuck on camera, which is why the only time he mentions that is Toga and Akio and he mentioned... He frames that as a consenting relationship because he's joking about it. My brother in Christ, Toga is 17. He is also being statutory just like Utena. Just because he is a young man does not make it consensual. James Somerton, please go to therapy. And not in a derogatory way, like, please, dude. Or or touch grass, one of the two. Like, I actually think one of the things that's just striking to me about this guy as, like, a figure and why I think... I keep having these cycles of fascination with him that have brought us all here to this place, is... If I say the name Bertie Madoff, does that mean anything to y'all? <laughs> Ooh, boy, howdy. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I appreciate where this is going. It's a very, spe- very specific group in here. Yeah, so Bertie Madoff, for those who may not be aware of this, is one of the most successful... Or was for many years, I should say. He's in jail now which is why we know this. He was one of the most successful con artists in American history. He ran an immense Ponzi scheme, which is where you basically take in money from investors, promise you'll double it or get like some insane rate of interest on it, and then use money from future investors to pay back your first ones without ever moving the money at all. Part of how he got so big is that Bernie Madoff was very, very integrated into into New York Jewish communities. So he would like be hitting up people at synagogues and things like that and convincing whole families to put retirement accounts and such like with him. Mm -hmm. And that was how he, part of how he was able to build such a large and successful uh, scam. And what that is called is uh, that's an affinity scam where you target people who come from your community specifically because you know, they will be less guarded to yeah. you than they would be to someone who isn't who doesn't share that with them. James Summerton, in a lot of ways, is like he is a queer affinity scam. He yeah. is authentically a queer man, and he is authentically, at least on some level, interested in queer media. I think, but he's also a con artist who is kind of, in a lot of ways, I would argue, defrauding the people who thought he was an intellectual person that they should be interested in. That's absolutely yeah. what he was doing. Yeah, like. He he makes shit up and he steals. He is a con artist of writing. And, like, the reason I think I v- developed such a vitriolic hatred of him that's, like, burning over all the time in cycles is specifically that he 
walked into a community of obviously younger queer people, there are bits in all through this that we haven't read out where he'll just say things and I kind of like have this little buzz in my brain and I'm like, this is in here because it is language that will make your specific audience of 20-something young queer people you know, th- understand that you are signaling allegiance. There's a random Bernie Sanders joke in here. Miley Cyrus's wrecking ball. Yeah, Miley Cyrus's oh wrecking ball. The, the interminably long section about wrecking ball. Yeah. Like, there's all of these little bits that are there to signal an interest in what young people like, particularly young queer people. And how do you do fellow kids? Yeah. And yeah. And also to signal a broad general sharing of politics. Like, the Bernie Sanders joke is. I feel deeply calculated because it's the kind of joke where, like, if you have a left-leaning audience that runs the spectrum from ordinary American liberal all the way to be gay, do crime, and beyond that, Bernie Sanders works as a joke to signal political allegiance because he is a figure who is at least tolerable to everyone within that spectrum. That is kind of like one of the, like, when I saw that in there, I was just sitting there, I'm like, I might be overthinking this. But I think of the one thing Somerton did do that was actually calculated as a writer and a presenter was constantly signal in this way because it keeps their guard down. It keeps the audience Mm -hmm. from looking behind the curtain and seeing that this guy just has nothing of his own to bring into the world. And what he, or rather, he does have something But he's never done the work to become a writer capable of doing that. He's never done the work of being able to authentically present ideas he has come up with that are interesting. It's fascinating that this is about Akio. But we should be talking about James Summer. (laughs) We got we do gotta talk about that. I, yeah, I mean, we we only have about 15 minutes left, and we mm-hmm. still haven't really talked about, like, <laughs> so the, much. the Akio stuff or the Anthe stuff. Oh, God, we got the speedrun Akio and Anthe at the same time. I'm so sorry, y'all. Uh, <laughs> point someone to do it. Anthe's conformity to the Rosebride is based around the fact that she feels good being subservient because this is the only thing in her life that has ever brought her any kind of positive reward. Yeah, James okay. James Everton, 2023. I am, I am absolutely baffled that he, at every single point when inferring Anthe's emotional state, not only takes Akio's word for it, but just pretends that she has no emotions. The I am a doll without a heart scene, like, that speaks to so much of the experience of having your feelings just ignored and having your body used for the pleasure and the ego of other people and that should be incredibly salient to any criticism or analysis of the series when it comes to oh hey this is about power this is identity blah 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 blah. and yet and yet he absolutely believes that she is just a stepford wife who uh would immediately turn against her best friend and has a quote-unquote rivalry with utana and even this quote from him saying, oh yeah, they have a rivalry, basically takes two major scenes out of order. He references the poison scene and then basically talks about the unaliving herself scene. Quote unquote, he, quote unquote, he uses the term unaliving herself because I guess he's just trite like that. I'm pretty sure he- No, was, that's a YouTube it's thing. A YouTube I'm pretty thing. sure he was intending to inevitably put this on YouTube when he needed a breather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is though, by 
putting these two scenes together, the, the Cantarella scene and the unaliving herself scene, and not commenting on the bridge between them, he ignores that this was not a rivalry. The reason why Anthe and Utna tell each other that they've poisoned their tea and cookies, it's an admission that they've hurt each other and are choosing to go forward with it. That they they move on from that to dream about meeting up 10 years in the future to have tea and cookies. They look in deeply into each other's eyes. They hold each other's hands. Yeah, that's like, not a rivalry, my dude. That's gay. That's gay. And he does not talk about all the gay. He does not. He fundamentally does not understand the Cantarella scene or the... Mm-mm. I hate saying that word. Unaliving scene. Yeah. And it's he, like, he just has an utter lack of interest in, in the female queerness in the show. He talks more about Akio's identity than he talks about Anthe's identity. And whenever he talks about Anthe's identity, he takes it for granted that other people discussing Anthe are speaking, you know, ex cathedra from the throne. Like, he believes Akio, but he also seems to believe Utna because he says things like, uh, Utna starts trying to make Anthe more personally expressive and, and things like that. And it's like, he frames this as Utna is from the start doing the right thing to help bring Anthe out and absolutely misses that for a long time, Utna is badgering Anthe into a role just like everybody yeah. else. Like, he just misses that. For someone who insists that nothing in this show should be taken literal, he takes everything that is presented to him about Anthe to be literal. And it's because he's a fucking misogynist. He he really is. And I think if anything can be taken from, you know, what we've done and from this video and from this whole clusterfuck, H-Bomb did a great job with with the plagiarism. He mentions the, the misogyny but can't dig as deep in there. Um, that other video does get into that a bit more, but this is just such a clear and explicit picture of the brand of misogyny and how it's ma- manifesting in his larger discussions about other media. Because I'm going to extrapolate from how he discusses Utna and, and, and assume that this is how he frames all of the media he watches, which is to say he has probably undermined a ton of you know queer content, especially about women because he's just not interested in it, so it's not relevant to the discussion. And, you know, when you're a tiny YouTuber and nobody cares and it's like three people have seen your video, fine. But he has a massive platform and he has basically had access. Had. And it's a past tense. (laughs) Yeah, had. He had a massive platform and that platform was, you know, primarily, I'm going to assume, your average liberal gay person that isn't a queer radical with Marxist emotes. But, you know... Bernie fans, at, at the deepest. I mean, you know, and, like, lefty internet queer yeah. content. Yeah. Exactly. And and these are people that should be getting more accurate information than this. And when I say accurate information, I mean things like, you know, this show is full of queer content, and he actually does not discuss the queer content and its framing much at all. He completely misses that, yes, a story in the 90s about queerness would have a hostile relationship toward institutional authority. Like, he misses all of these things when, isn't that what his job is? His job is to analyze queer media. Is that what he, isn't that what he does? It's all here and this seems like a very easy one to chew on. And he just doesn't because one, he's lazy. Two, he wasn't interested in anime. And three, because it's centered mostly on women, he's not interested. He even forgets the symbols that are associated most with women. At one point he says the only thing carried over from the movie, from the anime to the movie, is the car symbolism. At another point, he says the most important, like the primary uh, metaphor, the symbol in the show is the sort of Dios. And it's yeah. like, 
where are you getting these? Are you missing Neither the of roses, those. my guy? Yeah. He also mentions coffins once. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. bring up the coffins at all, which is Wait, how does you know he really not? Really paying attention. He mentions yeah. them like once. God, I must have just assumed that he talked about them. I think I might have mandela myself into that. He basically references the coffin when talking about Uchna reaching out to Anthe, like the quote-unquote the coffin of her psyche, and that's it. He never explains it. Never again. Never again. Yeah. Which is horrifying. He has absolutely no idea what that symbol means. And that's... Ah. Yeah, it's just a lack of inquisitiveness into the material, and it's just insane. I will give you some like some space to wrap up uh, your Akio points, but I just wanted to say one last thing about Anthe. Whenever he's talking about how Utena seems to interact with Anthe and how that speaks to girl power or whatever, he has a nasty tendency to erase Anthe's individuality and say, oh, this is Utena trying to free all women. Whenever uh, somebody is pulling the sword out of a a woman's chest that is them getting their power from deflowering the woman that has absolutely nothing to say about anthe's personal relationship with this symbol where somebody is literally pulling a knife out of her chest hmm interesting that's because he doesn't see anthe as a character he doesn't see anthe or akio or utina as characters he sees them as symbols for like anthe is every woman and akio is every man and utina is a new kind of woman or something yeah uh, yeah he says that a couple that of times way. you could also read it other ways it can be both I, it can be both. The biggest problem I have with James Somerton's analysis of Utsuna is that he's really hung up on, like, what's really happening versus what is a metaphor for something. But, like... Yeah, that's Babby's first analysis from, like, 1999. Uh, many of these things are both. Many of these things are yeah. allegorical, but also, like, to be taken as happening within the context of the show, because, like, it doesn't operate on a hard logic of what is real and the not real. The only kind of figurative yeah. device he understands is, the, is this one-to-one allegory. It's like, he it, it doesn't, yeah. the, the text we have here... Does, fundamentally does not understand that thing can be symbolic or meant to be thematic while also being a part of a plot. It has to be yes. either a, like, dream sequence metaphor out of the fucking Bible, or it is a one-for-one Aslan is Jesus an, an analogy. Yeah. He's not a media A lot of people person. think this way, though. Just straight. Like, this is not uncommon. Yeah. In fact, this kind of thinking is more common than than actually knowing what the Anivia's words mean. That's a media literacy yeah. problem. It's literally yeah. a skill issue. And if he's presenting himself as a media critic, yeah. then this is what he deserves. He deserves to get slammed for it because he's not actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Isn't his background like advertising or some shit? It shows. Um, I He's got like a business, business administration. Yeah. Business background. It's, it's one of those things where it's like you get how he ended up on YouTube, but it's like... There is nothing informing his, like, there's nothing in his background informing this discussion. He's constantly just getting his information about postmodernism or whatever from YouTube. It's it's really sad because I can't imagine saying, talking about the show for as long as he does and saying so little. And even when he says something, it's, it's usually grossly inaccurate. Do we want to hit his conclusion real with quick? A- with a truck, if possible. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read a, 
I'm gonna redo it. Because, I mean, we got, I, I, we gotta give an honorable mention to Dios and Akio aren't the same person. We don't have- Oh, yes. We we unfortunately don't have time, but, like, that's a thing, that's a thing that he, like, harps upon a lot in this video. But as far as his conclusion, once again, James Somerton has, like, fallen for the Akio framing of things because he says- Very much. Akio was never the prince that Utsuno was trying to find. It was her all along. You absolute fool! The whole point is that prince and princess are roles forced upon people and are not good. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand how it is. Utsuno literally said abolish gender and James Somerton said, huh. That girl seems like she's pretty good at being a guy. He says Utsuna's princely quest is not just to rescue Anthe, but to rescue all the damsels in distress, to rescue all women from suffering by empowering them to rescue themselves. That's not what happened! That's Madoka. Yeah! Getting it mixed up, King. That's That's Madoka. It bothered me inordinately that he references at the beginning of this essay newer magical girl series like Madoka, my brother in Christ, that show is like a fucking decade plus old now. Yeah. Like, I mean, on. okay, in there has been, but yeah. There have been more magical girl shows since then. What are you talking about? Yeah. 2011. But Monica has prestige. Yeah, that one gets to be like a real piece of media. You know, I hear it's a it's... deconstruction. But yeah, I I I just think it's hilarious that we he gets to the very end and decides that um no being a prince was a good prince thing, is the great thing. You know what? I like so much of this feels like you gave all of the essays on empty movement to like a generative AI and said talk about revolutionary girl Utida. His conclusion doesn't even clearly draw from the shit he's been talking about for no. an hour, like. Somehow we go from Akio is right all the time and, you know, whatever he says about Anthe, including that she enjoys being the witch, absolutely true. Taking that for granted. Why would Akio lie? We're going to go all the way from that to princes are real and Utsuna became a prince for everyone. And I do not, I genuinely don't understand how he reads this from the text, aside from that he was not watching it. That's, or at least he was only half watching it. That's all I can get. Can we talk for a second about Utina prophesizes women and their struggles to free themselves from victimhood and how this uphill battle will have casualties? Said the misogynist. S- yeah, right? Sir, like, who was the casualty? It's not the song, James Wintertown. It's, 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 it's an anime. James, this is James Sunderland running into closets over and over and over. How did did it take us this long to make a Silent Hill 2 joke? (laughs) I've been saving it. It's just been vibing in my chest. (laughs) This dude would get followed around by Pyramid Head and be like, Pyramid Head is a metaphor, so I can just ignore that. That's not real. (laughs) I'm, I'm losing my mind at the idea of, like, James Subberton gets called out by two fairly big YouTubers and just, like, vanishes, and we smash cut to him, like, in a car, narrating, I got a letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meet me in my special, uh, special place. Meet me in Silent Hill. <laughs> Except that the letter is from Akio, and he's going to Tori Academy. <laughs> Silent Hill and Tori Academy are symbolically the same. Oh, shit, I just And realized. that is more media now. yeah. yeah. I, if that's, if it's okay with you guys, can you cut in, uh, at the very beginning that I said, hi, kitty, I love you? Yes. Okay, awesome. 
Beautiful. Anthe's final decision to leave the school and find Eutina speaks to her acknowledgement that she has been a participant in this and that she wants to make things right. That's what we have concluded. James Summerton. Anthe is on a quest to make things right and not, I'm walking away from all of the trauma I've experienced for better and worse. Okay, he does say that she is walking away from, like, a toxic family dynamic. But, yeah, yeah like, no, he but, but he does, far. but he does just fundamentally misunderstand so many things about both Anthe and Akio. I have to wonder whether this is irrelevance or, 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 or um, ignorance, like, dis- or disinterest. Like, is he just bad at media analysis, or did he just so deeply not give a shit about I it? I think it's both. Yeah, can <laughs> it can, both. yeah that's true. It can be both. I, I, I do love that he walked right past, by the way, the most basic reading of, like, that ending that I've ever heard anyone do, which I'm still fond of, which is kind of pointing out, hey, if she's looking for Utena, and we take her literally, is Otori kind of purgatory? Oh, yeah. yeah he, he misses all of the religious symbolism. Yeah. And goes with, it's a therapy elevator. Well, no, that's the thing is, confessional. they, like, he inserts random religious shit, or, like, he misunderstands religious shit that is there, and then, like, inserts random religious shit that wasn't there. Yeah, Lottie, you can go ahead and and head out if you need to and just like uh you can just stop your recording and um we'll i i can outro us and and wrap up thank you for coming on the pod lottie it has thank been you a so joy much having you here anthony defense squad yeah okay we should wrap up yeah but is there anything we need to to cover that we haven't it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like any of this could be covered for like hours. That, just, yeah, that's the it, problem is like... We're looking into the abyss. People told me that there wasn't enough to cover in this video that was like worth it. And then like as I was going through the video, I'm like, oh God, how are we going to do this in two hours? Okay, and we I want to tell the story of the video for me because I think it's illustrative of how this went down for you as well. Sure. I joined his Patreon to watch this video when I saw him tweet about it. So I was like, okay, fine. I will give this guy actual dollars to see this video. And I did so not because he made the video on Patreon, but because he mentioned it was going to be public later. And, you know, running the community that I do, I was like, okay, I want to know what's coming. Because yeah. anytime Utina gets largely platformed, you know, you get a new influx of fans. So I was Makes like, sense. all right, you know, let's do some prep work. Uh, I watched the video while uh, working on the Chio Saito art book. So I was like Photoshopping. So I was only half paying attention, but I remember being just seized with a sense of, eh, it's fine. Like, I really didn't care, and I got the conclusion at the end that he wasn't going to really draw fans here or to tra- or, or turn anyone off in particular. It just felt like the blandest video I'd ever seen, and then I just forgot about it. Then, you know, months later, H-bomb explode, pew-pew, and we all kind of rewatched it, and paying attention to it, it became just a completely different thing. Moment to moment, this is such an uninteresting video. He is uninteresting. His delivery is uninteresting. The camera work is uninteresting. His takes are just Wikipedia plus some stuff. It's bland, boring, uninspired shit. But once you start digging into it and you see where it, like, like, there's more there. But that's kind of like the experience I had with it. It was on a first glance, it was just such a boring video. It didn't say anything that I felt was going to really be worth talking about. That's the problem, is he did an, an hour-long video on Utena and managed to find nothing interesting or compelling to say. And I'm like, even someone who didn't enjoy Utena or doesn't even like anime, 
I feel like if I sat down any random coworker I have and showed them Mutina, they would have found something more compelling to say than what he does. He manages to not even really discuss the queerness in Utina that much. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even pick a, a fundamental aspect of the show, like the revolutions or the metaphors or, you know, the queerness or any of that. He just sort of shotguns symbols and words and thoughts and doesn't actually try to come to a cohesive conclusion. I kept losing interest in the video the first time I watched it. Like I kept tuning it out because I felt like he wasn't really saying much of anything. I thought it was because I was being ADHD as fuck (laughs) and I just wasn't paying attention. And now it turns out like on a rewatch, it's like, no, no, the problem was him. He was not engaging in any way about this with any passion. And it just, it shows. And it's unfortunate because I think it probably speaks to how he views a lot of anime and a lot of media that is more centered on women because the misogyny is deep here. It's built in. Yeah. It's a fundamental aspect of how he is viewing this text to the point that it it is actually kind of sincerely shocking and it kind of sucks to see that from a fellow queer. Like It's like I forget gay people can be annoying. It, yeah, exactly. Like, you, you know, the, the enemy is within the walls. It's not great. Also, we spoke earlier about him doing a lot of shouting out to his crew, doing like, oh, see, we're liberal Bernie fans and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. He says that, but when you look at the framing he uses, the way he looks at things, the kinds of jokes he makes, he is a conservative. I'm sorry. He doesn't read as, as leftist or liberal in any way. He is a conservative wearing a Bernie hat. (laughs) His views of Utina are conservative. His framing of Anthe as somehow both a witch and just utterly without any agency until the very, very end where she decides to make things right, which is not actually the arc there, but okay. Uh-huh. It's it's just built in. He feels like a conservative to me. And why, why are you fucking with this stuff then, bro? Like, I know that the YouTube algorithm the dollar signs. churn. Yeah, he made but- so much money. I had so many opportunities to pivot into a dozen different grifts when I had 2,000 like subscribers and a Patreon that made me like po- like positive and money every month and all this kind of stuff and I was still writing. And if I have any thoughts about fucking Jimothy What's-His-Name, it's that, God, not taking those chances was such a mistake because apparently <laughs> it is hilariously easy apparently this shit's easy it's as fuck. easy as fuck apparently you can just do yeah, that literally any What's of us could have done this better <laughs> like i mean beyond all my jokes and being mad about yet another person not understanding what postmodernism is there's a deep sadness of like i understand what it is to realize that life is inherently empty and you are a husk and the only thing we have of meaning in a post meaning world is to be fucking famous and I get it. Clout is the only thing that matters anymore. But like, Jesus, man, you like to 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 go to all that effort of doing something so soullessly calculative and then do it so badly is just I don't understand that bit. It makes me weep for media literacy. I mean, yeah, media literacy. And when I say media literacy, it expands to literacy broadly because that's what but, that but, means. But, oh, God, but, yeah. but it's like, not great. Don't you understand? The, what if the blue drapes are just blue because the author thought about the color blue? 
this really stupid example yeah, but his conclusion that I used, is that the drapes are just blue and therefore you can throw them out the like, window. I'm sorry, but like I'm really tired of people who had a single bad English class in high school and decided that like they were going to do nothing but be mindless consumers of whatever the worst possible thing is on right now. I'm I'm tired of pretending yeah. like those people were somebody I'm supposed to have sympathy for. No, you just suck mm-hmm. and you don't have an imagination. Read a fucking book. I'm done. Read mm-hmm. a fucking book. This guy made a bazillion dollars in off of that kind of beha- of that kind of mindset because people who, know like let themselves traipse through life like deciding that th- themes were for I don't know the gays or something like themes are for themes are for, themes are for middle school papers yeah and, and the, then they just the, trace the themselves into Game the guy guys, who so yeah. plagiarizes random books that he finds on by looking up name of fandom I can exploit plus gay with bracket with little <laughs> like quotation marks around it into into Google. Yeah, he's literally feeding on his own supply. It's kind of sad. Yeah, I want to. I want to say two things. First, excellent use of the Game of Thrones showrunner quote. Second, <laughs> Vana, you asked like why he engaged with like this. If he, I cannot speak to James Somerton's actual politics, but you asked like why he presents as like having this very conservative reading. Why he would engage this way, and I'll tell you why. This is a marketing man with yeah. a marketing right. expert background who realized that there was a new and coalescing audience on YouTube for the phenomenon called BreadTube. Yeah. Which, there were two ways to jump onto that. There was the way a lot of people tried to jump on, which is, like, doing channels about leftist stuff, which we're never going to make all that much money in the grand scheme of things because there's a very limited audience for that. And then there's... But there was a great slot for media analysis plus identity. And as long as you are willing to cater to specifically young, left-leaning queer people, that was a demographic who were very, very excited because they had a couple of creators who they really, really liked, who upload fairly infrequently, and someone who uploads regularly but can deliver the same length and polish on their video stood to make a profit. James Summerton is disgusting to me yeah because he's a product he is a product like james summerton the youtube channel is a product that was cynically built and cynically marketed to a demographic of consumers who were mostly kids like not even i I don't want to like infantilize his audience too much here. yeah these are like 20 year olds mostly but like Mm -hmm. he saw young people getting invested in this cross-section of media analysis and radical politics that formed with, between the common audiences of a few YouTubers and cynically said, I can become the center of that Venn diagram, and it, when I do, I shall make a tidy profit. And he made at least, we know, like, six figures yearly off of that fucking Patreon. I mean, in hindsight, so, it's not surprising. I mean, we, we want to pretend like he's extraordinary, but he's not. Like... And I'm not saying anybody here has to co-sign with me on this, but I look back, we talk about, like, queer culture and queer literature and all this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, that's a thing that existed. And in in its place, we have built a kind of shambles mound of the worst people you've ever met who had a Tumblr blog in 2005. I mean, 2009. 
Mm-hmm. It is the people who drove Isabel Fall out of her career and out of the attempting to write and out of transitioning and like the most annoying people who have ever tweeted and con men. And that's it. Where are we talk about like, you know, we there's this idea that floats around of like, oh, it's people like this are the reason why queer voices aren't being heard. It's like, no, people like this are definitely around and they're doing that. And James Somerton happened to be a pretty like noteworthy example. But no, it's because Uh like what what queer art we are making, a lot of it is insure. It is it is entirely it's 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 queer art about queer art about queer art that eats its tail in an Ouroboros. We we don't have those outlets anymore. We don't make them. Mm-hmm. We assimilated into terrible spaces and made them worse and didn't make anything. We went from having a constant whole constellations of gay, lesbian, and trans publications and zine culture and all this shit. And we traded it all in for aesthetic blogs. I mean, what what did we expect to happen? James Somerton is in this kind of analysis is the end result. It's it's where you get when you decide to completely surrender an entire way of seeing the world to SEO optimization. What did we expect? Thanks for plugging Empty Movement's new forum, something internal. Yeah, honestly, yeah, I don't. I don't I, I, I've been That's, wanting to talk like, about like, that more, but I don't know how ready it is to launch yet. That that yeah, you can mention 100%. it. Hundred percent. I, I think I, it gives me a lot of. I, it, yeah. it honestly gives me a lot of hope. I'm really tired of the only way I've ever engaged with the idea of a quote unquote queer community being the worst people in in the world who have Twitter accounts. Like, yeah, we talk about this as if and it's he's a the thing. Emblematic no, that. it was a thing in the nineties. It was a thing that like. Basically, it apparently seems to have started dying out as soon as Ellen came out on TV. And by the time it gets to my cohort, what the fuck are you talking about? What, what, what culture has zero, has makes zero things? So, so there's a phenomenon. Guys, uh, so guys, mm-hmm. guys, I love you all very much. If this recording gets very much longer, I'm going to... Right, okay, because you guys, because you guys are not the ones who have to go in and edit all this. <laughs> that is fair. I'm sorry. Okay, do we do we want to do we want to wrap yeah, up? Either we wrap up or we are reconvening for a part two, which I tried <laughs> to suggest <laughs> earlier. No, but, it's true. Um, uh, sorry, like, look, I, I know we've got a lot of really great things to say, but it just, I know this episode cannot go on very much longer than this. The abyss I, is infinite. All right, all right, we're wrapping up. Let's wrap uh, up. Yeah, I am very sorry. Okay, it's, let's wrap up. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm Vana. I run empty movement. Yeah, well, we, well, we can, we can do a proper outro. Um, <laughs> the last thing I will say is that um james summerton refers to uh mitsuru as nanami's younger boyfriend what the um, fuck yeah we'll just yeah that's just the, that's the that's the note i'm gonna leave off on i'm <sighs> going to post a i the version of the transcript that i have um is covered in like notes and highlighting from us working on it but i'm going to post a like cleaned up just blank version or not blank but you know what i mean uh version mm-hmm. of the transcript of the video along with this episode so people can take a look at it if they want i don't just even though i don't 
don't respect James Somerton and like technically now that his Patreon is gone, any of the videos on there that were hosted there are quote unquote lost media. I don't necessarily feel comfortable just posting the whole video, but I, yeah. you know, if you want to take a look at the transcript so you can see what, what was in the video that we didn't get to talk about or uh, get some more context for some of the stuff that we did talk about, that That's I, I will make that available to people. But um, if you would like to follow this show on the internet, you can do that at UtenaCast. If you'd like to follow me on the internet, you can do that at Impananata. Alice, where can you be found? Um, I can be found on Twitter at L-Y-R-E-W-U-R-S that's Lyra. And uh, Cass, what would you like to plug today? Uh, I would like to plug the concept of never listening to James Summerton again. Uh, and additionally, I, I would also like to plug to uh, the Empty Movement Forums, which you can find. <laughs> uh, for real, though, I, I also co-host a show with Alice called Big Steppy that's about giant robots. Uh, you can find that, the official Twitter account for that, at Big Steppy. Eventually, there will be more content for that podcast. Perhaps yeah. sooner than you think. And Vana, uh, why don't you why don't you give your spiel? Okay, uh, you can find us at otori.nu or emptymovement.com, all one word, where we are now running a fucking forum in 2023. You know, a forum. Come hang out and actually do gay community and stuff. Yeah, guys, that's cool. Go join the forums. And al- yeah, and also just a quick if you if James if you want the anti James Summerton. Uh, there is a video you can find on YouTube called Film Cuts Back, Transfeminism in Utena. Ooh, I've been meaning to watch this one. It's literally the opposite of this. It's a brilliant video. It's beautiful. Um, the author also wrote an essay that is now on our website. Fuck yeah. Where where we were actually interviewed and, you know, it gets into things like queer archiving and queer media and all the stuff that James Somerton should have been talking about. So (laughs) check that out if you're looking for kind of a palate cleanser. If you would like to get in contact with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or you can email us at imagineutena at gmail.com. If you would like to come on this show, we have a Google form that is in our pinned tweet and you can fill that out and that will tell me that you are interested in the show and what you would like to talk about. And um, I think that's all of the plugs it's been a while since we didn't oots in a cast so and i never write the plugs down which i'm sure no one can tell uh so i'm just doing this off the dome but i'm pretty sure that's everything and if not um i don't care as i say uh in basically every episode i'm tired so um revolutionize the world everybody revolutionize the world Gow, gow. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Alice, are you <laughs> Alice? Are you not going to see us later? Oh, yeah, see you later. <laughs>